Hello and welcome to episode 144 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast. I am Mike Solosi and I am your host again today. Uh, we are at the very beginning of Lunar Month at RPG Fan, or I guess we're at part, part 204 of Lunar Month, where we are going to podcast four episodes in a row about Lunar 1 and Lunar 2, because, guys, there wasn't any Lunar games made after Lunar 2. I mean, that's, that's just a fact of life. Oh, hey, hey, whoa, 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 magic school's all right. Okay, sure. I, ac- I accept that. I have but, no idea. But the facts of life are all about you, starting with Robert Fenner. Hey, uh, glad to be here. How about Tempest's hair? Uh, you know, I, um, I- I'm very wary of men with braids, but he makes it work. You know, like, I, I thought Tempest and Alex looked so similar at first that I... I got different hair, huh? I was like, did one of them just let it grow out? It was, it was kind of my thought. You know, I know Fresca's looks less similar to Luna than Tempest does to Alex, but I, I don't know, I don't know. It seems, it seems like they, just as, as Fresca suggests, their kids will totally grow up playing together. But also joining Robert and I, we have Leona McCallum. Hi there! I have nothing amusing to say. Well, uh, Leona, this is your second podcast appearance on Retro Encounter, which means that the first appearance didn't scare you away permanently, which I consider a win. I had a lot of fun, actually. I really enjoyed it. Well, good. And uh, hopefully we'll have just as much fun in the second episode where uh, each of us finished Lunar the Silver Star in some form or another. Uh, well, or at least I, I can't, I don't want to speak, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth necessarily. I finished Lunar the hours before going on to a plane <laughs> to E3 <laughs> in mid-June. Um, uh, Luna, were you able to finish the game in time for the podcast? Oh, I like that you called me Luna, but oh, Leona. I'm sorry. They, they are they're they're pretty close together. It's, it's just I'll, I'll a different song. It's, it's, ah. just, it's just a difference of vowels. This is a LARPing uh, podcast now. Oh no. Ooh, ooh, sense. If it's a LARPing podcast, can I uh, recreate Kyle's performance of of uh, the song in front, in front of the Blue Dragon Shrine? Only if you cross dress. <laughs> All right, we can make it happen. I'll have to. <laughs> My my sister was in it was a costumes mistress for plays in high school. We can figure it out. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, well, I finished Lunar uh, yesterday. All right. <laughs> and Rob, it's uh, like a two week gap between like playthroughs. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I finished Silver Star Harmony about two p.m. today. Ah, uh, that was long. <laughs> so so long. Unfortunately, you can. Uh, I was like, "I'm the last dungeon. It's still going on." The last dungeon does go on for a bit. The the one that surprised me that it just went on and on the most is, I don't know, maybe either Might's Tower or the Talon Mines. But uh, you two were fortunate enough not to play the version where uh, the uh, cave at uh, the shrine at uh, Litton takes two hours because every time you fall down a hole, those enemies respawn. Oh no! That dungeon was maybe one of the easiest in the game. In the oh, PS1 not version. this time around. Oh, yeah, yeah. straightforward. All right. Well, it seems like all three of us did finish in time. So this is the opposite of the uh, Digital Devil Saga podcast from some months ago, <laughs> where none of us finished it. We're kind of embarrassed. But uh, uh, I talked about that forever. <laughs> oh yeah, man. That that was just a difficult month, and then I had a long RPG on top of it. It was it was a problem. But anyway, so all of us are on board to talk about the entirety of Lunar the Silver Star. Um, where we cut off was I think we were right about to talk about Lighten and that cave and the Blue Dragon. Right. So uh, in at Lighten, you, uh, you when we visit, the uh, music is all out of whack. It sounds like it's just all out of tune and. 
uh, everyone in the town is cheerful but slightly going insane and grateful to have some chosen ones relieve relieve them of this of this agony. Uh, so I guess Leighton and the cave itself. Um, Rob, you you mentioned it's like it was just really frustrating for you. Uh, how is like what changes are made in the, to the PSP version? First of all, I think that music could be way more annoying. It sounds just like kind of goofy. Yes. Um, and they're like, talking about how in agony they are. And I just like, I was kind of annoyed by that because I was like, this in the song is actually kind of jaunty and kind of good. Um, so I wasn't really getting... It didn't even change getting... that much when you fix it. Yeah, it really doesn't. <laughs> um, the cave in this version, oh my goodness. Um, see, I never got this far in the PS1 version. Um, were there pitfalls in that version? There are i think i I remember there's holes uh but i think only in like the last room or maybe last two rooms and i don't think the enemies respond um the the ps1 version in general is pretty good about having no respawns at all unless you leave the dungeon it's just a straight up cave with random dungeons on sega cd um and this one there's a, a pitfall at every intersection which you have to fall down and then you have to go through another screen and then fall through another hole and it's just respawning random encounters that the alleys are too narrow to avoid them and that took me a very very long time and i was just so tired by the end of it like i had to listen to podcasts to get through it it was just okay well that might have made the following dungeon easier than maybe but uh oh yeah um I-, I listened to podcasts for basically every part of this game other than major dialogue scenes and maybe some boss battles because i un- unless i really am entranced by a game's music. I kind of always want to be listening to podcasts during it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and again, L- Lunar um, One does have good music, I think. We can talk about that more specifically later. But th- they repeat tracks a lot. They, I think they use basically the same battle and cave tracks for most areas of the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I didn't feel dirty at all switching to a podcast for um, Dungeon Runs, which did get a little longer in the second half, as we alluded to earlier. Um, uh Leona, what did you think of Lighten and that uh, and the, that cave and that music? Uh, I found it a bit. It was, it was straightforward. I mean, at the end of the dungeon, basically, you just push a rock, and that's the end. And then you leave the dungeon. Mm-hmm. It's a bit. It was a bit weird. It was like, why did I do this? Yeah. The, um. And the the puzzle was barely a puzzle at the end, and there's yeah. no and there's no boss fight. There wasn't a boss fight in the Blue Dragon layer either, which I was surprised by. That's hmm. true. And At least I, something happened in the Blue Dragon Lair. Like, nothing really happens in the Lightning Cave. Yeah, if anything, the, the ending of the Blue Dragon Lair is kind of it's kind of charming and surprising because the Blue Dragon is a sweetheart, and then they it, and and, the, and then they're ripped from your presence like that. <laughs> no, I will never see them again. Well, technically you do, and but but they don't not in a speaking role. Um, <laughs> this was all new to me. The Blue Dragon is not in the Sega CD version. He oh, is really? Dead, dead when you arrive. Oh no. Um, you no. never get to see him because um, of time constraints. So I was very, very charmed by just how, um, I don't know, how kind of like personable and laid back he was. He's all right. <laughs> He's like, oh, child. humans. I haven't seen humans in ages. Oh, please, please tell me about your human things. He was, <laughs> He's all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's a blue dragon's pretty cool. But unfortunately, in the uh, minute or so you go to a side to a side cave to pick up the helm, he gets captured by uh, Galliana Zenobia, which is which mm-hmm. is tragic. But the um, I, I sort of thought the Blue Dragon Cave was annoying because it's just, it's it's a, fairly dense with enemies, and there's a you know a slightly mindless teleporting pools uh, function that's just 
you know, just time consuming, not that visually interesting. But not the worst teleporting puzzle. No, no. There, there <laughs> are clear. fair. Uh but it's still uh still not my favorite. Um but and I always thought I also thought it was kind of amusing <laughs> that uh, uh, Lighten is a town full of pacifists, so they sell pretty good armor, but no weapons in their town. Yeah, not allowed. Yeah, so you got to either go back to uh, um, that that sort of Hicksville with the uh, with the very rude men, or forward a little bit to the uh, to the edge of the prairie. Yep. But let's see what what else happens around Lighten. Oh, uh, I guess next is um Tamer and Might's Tower, where uh, where our our best friend Laika rejoins us. <laughs> totally not plot related. Like, oh yeah, 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 totally, completely. Uh, um, uh, uh, a let's see, a what would we call him? A um, wilderness man. A, a wilderness man, a non-acting observer of the events of the game. Bear yeah. grills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, totally not another character, just with a beard and a hat. <laughs> But anyway, um, I mean, I thought Might's Tower was a frustrating maze, but at least I could just go through it without thinking because uh, um, Laika won every battle for me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, his attacks, he attacks like four times in a row with like instant death, so it wasn't that bad. Mm. Yeah, it took a while, but it wasn't that long. But then you uh, meet Might at the top, and he is just a just the, gre- you, the greatest curmudgeon. Yeah. What a delightful <laughs> misanthrope. Is that the smelly guy? Yes. <laughs> okay, I, I know where we are. I was curious to see if he was going to be smelly in Exceed's uh, localization, and indeed he is. So I okay. guess maybe that's uh, yeah. a, maybe that's something original to his character, and not I just think, um, I think it's probably Vic pro- messing around. It's probably written in the Japanese that he has poor personal hygiene. Yeah, but and yeah, and he he shows up a little later too, uh, like because he's the only person in the world capable of building an airship. He's kind of. Um, He's kind of the cause of a lot of problems, but um, he's kind of a neutral player at the same time, huh? The cause of a lot of problems? How do you, how do you mean? Am I, am I going crazy, or did he build the grindery? No, the other guy built the grindery. Oh. There's, there's, there's two. I always got those two mixed up. Yeah, no, there's two geniuses. What's the Tabin? other guy's? Tabin, yes, Tabin? that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's Tabin and Might. They appeared to have been friends or collaborators at one point, but then... Might wanted to. Might did not want to build a giant war machine, and Tabin did, and that's what the grindery is. That's right. For some reason, I combined them in my head. <laughs> I don't know why. It's totally fair. But also, th- this gets to something that, uh, you know, let's stop just going through the plot like a like a boring linear trio for a second. Um, All right. What do we think happened during the time of the four heroes? So, uh, Dine, Galleon, Lemia, and uh, and Mel. Why were they heroes? Was was there a war? Was there some kind of threat? It's really confusing. I I can answer this question, and is, it's not it's not a good answer. Okay, and, but um, is it is it because they elaborated unnecessarily in the PSP version? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, well. and I kind of wish that they just hadn't. All right. Um, the very first scene of the PSP, the four heroes facing off against um some like big final boss um with unknown it's why he's there who knows who cares he's kidnapped althena mm-hmm. they need to get him back um they need to get oh, her back they like they kill luffia him too. pardon me it starts like luffia 2 yeah uh, yeah oh, kind of except well luffia 2 is a well you know it starts like luffia 1 but because in luffia 1 you see the end of yeah that's you play right through, you play through the end yeah. of luffia 2 yeah yeah that's right. I think it's it's one of these things that's better left speculated on. 
So, um, you know, instead of just like seeing the random final boss, I'd like to hear. I'd like to hear both of your takes. Um, I mean, I mean, uh, re- regarding the speculative nature of it, I think that's uh, something that I was curious about because. Uh, the current state of the world is extremely peaceful, other than the, what's going on in the frontier. Uh, yeah. it, like it, all of the towns are idyllic, or and uh, except for Meridia which, and uh, Vane, which are fairly you know bustling. But the, I, I was curious as what the four heroes fought because it didn't seem to be any aftermath or any talk of what the uh, of what happened during that conflict, other than you know some hero worship of those four heroes. So I, I figured maybe there was a war with the Dark Tribe, um, or uh, is that what they're called? No, no, the Vile, Vile Tribe. tribe. Sorry, Vile tribe. tribe. I think I'm going to get them confused with the Tribe of Darkness from East. But mm. yeah, so there might have been some war with the Vile Tribe or some unknown uh, other party on some unknown continent. Or maybe there was alien invaders from the Blue Star, for all I know. Uh, yeah, is is Althena an alien? Is that that is that what the subtext is? I, I don't I don't think so. Um, um well, they, actually, they she go might to, be. Well, maybe they, they go into that. We're gonna get li- into that in Lunar Two, aren't we? Yes. And oh, they, really? And they go okay. into that a little bit in those four stone tablets at the last part of the game, at the last dungeon. Yeah, that's where I'm getting a lot of it from. I'm, I'm more curious: is uh, is the world of Lunar supposed to be our world, or an alternate version of our world, where uh, where the Earth became so destroyed that a a powerful person named Althena moved everyone to the moon? It kind of seems like that, doesn't it? Because I thought it was like a moon that she had like terraformed. Yeah, so basically, yeah. Because like, everything goes away, it looks very moon-like. Yeah, yeah. And, it, it's the and silver you, star. And when you look at the blue star, or um, or what they call the blue star, the planet they revolve around, it kind of looks like Earth. Hmm. Yeah, I'd say we're probably like. But it's in, in like nuclear opinion, winter. On a moon. And it's called Lunar, right? That's what the world is yeah, called, Lunar. The, yeah. yeah, their world's called Lunar because I think they're the moon of the blue star, and. uh and the and the, maybe the blue star is supposed to be Earth, but they they do go into that into Lunar Two a little bit. But I'm not sure if Althena is supposed to be an alien or if she is a human with great power or or what exactly. So why did I know I'm jumping way ahead? But like that's cool. I didn't understand why Althena was suddenly like so evil at, towards the end. I didn't understand why she was like all dressed in black and skimpy clothing and suddenly like I am going to destroy this planet. Drama, <laughs> drama, yeah. drama or or some some vague hypnosis or brainwashing from Galleon is my guess. And you know, because evil has to be sexy, because you know, yeah. pure pureness can't be dressed like like Athena. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. Boy, um, when I was a kid, I always had just like this kind of idea in my head that like the four heroes assembled to like help help Athena like make a great pilgrimage like Yuna or Setsuna, you know, and um, they just helped her achieve her goal and then um, ascend into the heavens to, to watch over the world. Uh, I guess that's probably not the case, but it was my, it was my cute little idea growing up. That's, that is a cute little idea, but I think maybe because uh, like, the four heroes were sort of revered for their prowess, like how uh, mm-hmm. Dine and Mel fought for four days or something, or whatever the story was before they yeah. became, before they became friends. Made me think that there was some kind of conflict going on. Might even been a war between uh, humans and beastmen, which is a theme ex- explored in a lunar game. That oh, I'm sorry, that game doesn't exist. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Different timeline. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so uh, 
Yeah, well, well um, I, I guess it's it's at least underexplained and uh, maybe worth exploring. Maybe they shouldn't have done what they did in uh, in Silver Star Harmony. But they're uh, oh, what the, they the... do in Silver Star Harmony is <laughs> oh, no. it's, it's it's especially exasperating because not only is it like filling in something that is just sort of meant to be, uh, you know. It doesn't need as much detail as they get. Well, I mean, the detail that they give it is pretty skimpy, but it's very trite and not interesting. And um, but what makes it the most um, frustrating is I think like I think they've written this prologue scene for people who have played Lunar before um, because like it basically absolves Galleon of any guilt because like they beat this final boss and then like everybody's walking away and then like they think they think he's dead but he's not and then like he transfers his consciousness into galleon oh and it's like oh come on i don't like that boring he's just possessed by a big monster who cares you know no that makes no sense no No, it's terrible i mean i mean i I hate galleon but that makes me hate him even more but like you should hate him because he's like a selfish awful yeah uh, power hungry thing not because he's you know um like a plot twist at the end of another high profile game that came out last year, but <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, well anyway. um, okay. I, I also hate Galleon, uh, n- not as a character. I think he's, I think he's amusing as sort of, as a very melodramatic uh, villain. But, but yeah, but yeah, kind of. <laughs> he's, he's, he's yeah, he's barely a step beyond Skeletor or Mumra or something. But the uh, I, I sort of. I, I do not like that development that he's possessed by some other no. male- malevolence. I, I like him as this, you know, selfish, almost needy person who both like craves having the goddess's light again and craves over control over a world that he thinks is full of people beneath him. Like those, those as his motivators, I'm fine with. But him being possessed by some vague shadow being, I don't, I, I don't like that nearly as much. Is Galleon incel? <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I hope I didn't make that joke already last week. Oh, I don't, I don't remember, but <laughs> I, I don't think he is because that would mean he was. It, it was done involuntarily, and I'm pretty sure he could get it from Royce or Zenobia if he wanted it. Well, Zenobia yeah. definitely. Yeah, pretty studly. Yeah, so like, I'm. I, I don't. I don't think he's an incel, even though he behaves like one often. <laughs> what 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 I find amusing about Galleon is that apparently Althina only 15 years ago was walking among mortals, granting wishes nilly, willy-nilly, like, and then she disappears. And after 15 years, everyone's kind of like, whatever, it's cool. And then the Galleon is the only person in the world who's like, no, she must come back. You, you know, I'm not sure Pete, everyone is aware that she's gone. I think they might think that she's just at the tower not granting wishes anymore because of because you know she decided to stop to or something cuz she's still being openly worshiped there's and... a line during the uh during the lemia uh possession quest in vain where somebody in prison says that like they asked uh uh, uh lemia overheard them uh talking about a rumor that althena was no longer in the goddess's tower and then he got thrown into the dungeon oh, so, so it sounds like maybe yeah, they think that she's a recluse, but she's actually gone. Yeah, so I, I guess the way my brain filled it in, uh, there was some conflict over the goddess and her powers or or uh, 15 years ago. The four heroes resolved it, and then 
that what really happened was that the goddess vanished and then reincarnated into Luna. But what, uh, well, I mean, whatever. We're spoiling everything already. No, yeah. No one care by now. Well, um, spoilers. But, but, every, but I think everyone else thought that you know the god. Uh, we can't have these wars anymore. The goddess doesn't want it, so she is going to lock herself in the tower and just make sure everything is peaceful. Like, like, is my that's my at least what I sort of believed, and. Uh, mm. And, and I mean, this might be going to Lunar Two territory a little bit, but basically the idea is that uh, um, she'll always be reincarnated into somewhere. So if if Luna if Luna dies of natural causes or old age or whatever, then someone else would be the reincarnation of Althea, Athena, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Shemagamikensis style. Yeah, sure. Or it could be, <laughs> or, or you know, it could be Castlevania style, where it's only once every hundred years. Fair. Yeah. Why not? But uh, so it's some arrangement like that, and uh, I think. I, I think that secretly Galleon um, was very needy and felt and felt empty, knowing that Althena was gone. Because he, I mean, as being you know someone that you know quote unquote basked in her light for his entire life, having there be no goddess, he thought was just ab- was you know absolutely irresponsible. So he wanted to restore her, yeah, and also and also because he's a control freak and a villain, he wanted to use her power to reshape the world in his image or something. But there's there's another sort of subtext to that where I think uh, Dine and Galleon were best friends, but also rivals for Althena, and Althena chose Dine. Possibly. Also, I think um, he might have been competitive with uh, Dine for the role of Dragon Master. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. So it could have been that, and it could have been over her affection. Um, if if they were both in love with Althena, that would be. I mean, that that's an interesting game. Give us the give us the yeah. <laughs> make, give us a Lunar Zero about 15 years ago. Maybe maybe add a fifth a fifth hero that uh that died in that died in obscurity or something. I'd, I'd play that. Retcon the whole main control thing. Yeah, yes, for real. <laughs> yes, get rid of that. You know. That never happened. Yeah, please fix that, Kenan, because that that's gross. I mean, I, like if um I think that there is there's there's juice to that relationship between Dine and Galleon and maybe Dine and Mel and maybe I don't know maybe maybe Lemia is uh has a, a role in that team dynamic as well but I, I think that there is something there um it's totally cheapened by that possession thing in Silver Star Harmony and I have not played I think it's okay to not take that as canon because I mean well, sure it's kind of funny to talk about canon now because I mean really honestly who cares yeah no who but, cares about like, it and, and the guy that was the architect of Lunar 1 and 2 and Grandia 1 or 2 uh, didn't he die young uh, yeah I think like age 40 maybe a little bit younger than that in 2011 very sadly uh, that is too fair so, yeah um, so yeah this uh, but I don't think he was involved in this one anyway I think he kind of moved on I think this was before he died but still I don't think he was involved yeah. Oh, in Silver Star Harmony, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, but r- regardless, I think that the thinking about what the four heroes were and maybe what conflict they were involved in is interesting and fun, uh, especially because I-, I think that you know, I mean, Galleon is kind of a Saturday morning cartoon villain, but sure. his-, his motivations are at least you know at at, at least present. Like you can't, he, he- he's oh, yeah, not he- he's not completely flat. Well, he's quite larger than life as well. Oh yeah, um, and you know he's. I, I enjoy him when he comes on screen. Yeah. Like, he, I do look forward to his scenes, even though <laughs> privately I do make fun of them. <laughs> oh no no no! Please make fun of them openly. <laughs> I, I messaged you guys in, in Slack, and it was like uh, <laughs> just despair, despair, and just like every time that he's on screen, I feel like they purposely make him as cheesy and as hammy as possible. He's like a cheese and ham sandwich. Mm, yeah. Perfect combination. 
He's ridiculous. Absolutely yeah. ridiculous. And he does look like he does look like a giant, you know, uh, fantasy elf with with yeah. vaguely alien features. Kind of, kind of again, kind of like Magus from Chrono Trigger, but but with shoulder pads that go above his head. Yeah. Final mm. boss mode. He's like a giant body, but a tiny head. <laughs> that's right. Very fun as well. <laughs> well, okay. Um, we, we'll talk about that boss battle a little later. I'm rolling it back a little bit. Um, uh, because I, I, speaking of uh, giant he- bodies, tiny heads, I want to talk about uh, the boss battle that against Nash that happens a little later. But um, oh, but sure. but before then, um, they visit the frontier. Um, you meet Tempest and Fresca, who are two warriors of the frontier, which are you know a vaguely plains related related t- tribe. So they could be, um, you know, something Central Asian or uh, like the Comanches in North America and the Oklahoma territories, like something of that nature. But I, but I don't I wouldn't call it cultural appropriation, just cultural similarity. Um, Maybe like Mong- Mongolian. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, some, they're some sort of nomadic tribe. Yeah, well, I mean, Mongolians were the big successful ones that made an empire, but there was uh, nomadic tribes that. Um, that were that were skilled horsemen, sort of all over parts of the Central Asian steppe, even like in modern, uh, like in modern Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan as well. But the, yeah. the, the Mongols are the are the ones everyone knows for very kind of like, very for, for clear reasons. Kind of like the grasslands in Sukhod and Three. Kind yeah, of that sort of nomadic yeah, tribe yeah. It reminded me of the uh, of the plains tribes in Fire Emblem uh, Six and Seven as well. Yeah, yeah, like Len, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, so anyway, uh, the, um, Tempest and Fresca's tribe is like that. Uh, once it's clear that um, w- once you fight Temp- Alex fights Tempest in the easiest boss battle in the game, uh, T- um, Tempest decides that Alex is a great warrior, and they and they become friends very quickly and uh, get access to where the Black Dragon's Lair is. And um, that dungeon I found a little annoying in part because um, you lose your healer and your and the better of your two mages for the entire thing because of a mysterious mm. song yeah. that that, uh, that grants plague. To only females, or something. Old... It seemed that way. You know, maybe I don't. I don't know if it was. Like, if it was, she, she fell out, and then like Mia and Jess, they fell out. But I imagine it did affect males. It just happened to be so. The three females got it. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember checking every bed in the tribe to see if it was yeah. all women. But um, but but that is what happens. You uh, those three are incapacitated. So uh, your three, the three men in your party plus Tempest, go and brave the tower. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's kind of an annoying dungeon just because it's a, it's sort of mm. narrow corridors and it's not as easy to avoid enemies. But, and, and again, you have no healer. But, I mean, the at least what happens at the top is pretty memorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, it's my pet peeve about RPGs with, like, not random encounters is when they put them in, like, very narrow corridors so you couldn't avoid yeah. them even if you wanted to. It's like, that is not the point. <laughs> That happens a little bit in the two recent remakes of Dragon Quest Seven and Eight, which are games yeah. that I, I I like very much. But uh, it's like, oh yeah, uh, these games originally had random battles, so these narrow corridors with uh, live enemies are kind of you know breaking their own rules a little bit. Well, the PSP version—that's the entire game: tiny oh, corridors, oh, monsters. No. It's, it's, I feel so it's, sorry it's, for you every time you mention it. Oh, <laughs> it's just I'm, I keep going on about it, which is annoying. But it, you know, it's, you know, well, it's, it's I so have long. I have almost <laughs> bought. Silver Star Harmony, like at least three oh, times. Like, 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 I, like, like, I see it on Amazon or on a store. It's like, oh man, I really like Lunar One, but maybe it's good oh. in the PSP. But I, it never happened, and now it definitely won't happen. Yeah, Rob Imagine how nice it would be to have Silver Star Harmony on uh, several stars. Oh, Forty and Slip, Silver Star Story Complete on PSP. Just, just put that on the 
marketplace, please. Yeah, just, just digital versions of these two games. They, you don't even yeah. have to clean them up very much. I, I, I don't think the load times are that bad for a PS1 game for either yeah, of them. Yeah, they're fine. I, I, although I am, I, am, I am maximum 20 minutes into Lunar 2 right now, so maybe maybe it gets worse later. But... um. So, so yeah, anyway, there's a lot of narrow corridors in the Black Dragon Tower, but you get to the top, and we have the Black Dragon already enslaved by Galleon, and the mm-hmm. Dark Songstress with him that has been, uh, that has been you know, making people, maybe only women, <laughs> around, around Powerfall Ill is indeed Luna. Gasp. She's not in Ooh. her, I don't think she's in her dominatrix outfit yet. No. <laughs> yeah, okay, that happens later? Right. Very, very, yeah. Okay. Um, but... So so that's a big surprise, and you f- then there's a, a fight against the Black Dragon that I, I did I don't think I had much trouble with. No, and... I used like, the White Dragon like ability, oh, yeah. and that was really good against White, them. Like, White Dragon Protect is so crucial for the last <laughs> couple fights in the game. Seriously. I I if I hadn't used it strategically, I probably would have it would have, I would have I would have had mon- much much more problems. But um, yeah. sticking to where we are now. Uh, after that uh sort of after that encounter um luna does not come to her senses with or no no she does come to her senses but yeah. uh, but galleon spirits her away at the end am i, am I remembering that right cuz this was yeah. about a week and a half ago for me yeah that's correct okay right so but you go back to pow everyone's okay everyone um but we know we know that luna is uh is you know has goddess powers and uh, she's in the frontier somewhere and you got to go to the frontier. So you go back to Might, who's been working on a airship for an undisclosed amount of time. It's ready. And then it happens. Nash reveals what we had been suspecting for a while, that he is a mole from Galleon. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's a little weird. He's, he sounds a little desperate and a little crazy when he does this uh, because he he's sort of framing it that oh yeah I'm a bad guy but also you guys are crazy to you have to fight Galleon and you'll die and I don't want that either so I'm gonna blow up your engine peace out. It just seems like he's I don't know this has never really affected me very much in a way that like other high profile RPG portrayals do. Sure. Because like Nash is such oh, a oh, goofball. Are, are, are we gonna list our top ten anime portrayals? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should. Um, okay, all right. Well, obviously we have what happened in Tales of Destiny one, right? Hi. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Everybody's favorite, Leon mm-hmm. with his pink cape. Oh yeah, and then he has a skull mask where he turns into Judas. No yeah, symbolism boy. here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, all right, that's enough about uh, that's enough about um a diff- That's a different PSP RPG, a PS1 RPG for another day. But uh, so yeah, yeah, it's just it's so hard to take him serious anyway, and it's just like, mm, what are you doing? It's like you just kind of want to slap him and be like. Come on, buddy. Just just give it a rest. Yeah, and he's a goofy <laughs> asshole for most of the game, and you find him where he's literally under a raccoon trap or something. And yeah. if, and um and it recontextualize this betrayal recontextualizes that like oh he was probably looking for singers just like the other uh, members of the just like a galleon's other service servants and maybe he was supposed to investigate Luna and that was his job. So maybe oh. if you just le- if you just leave him under that trap, none of this happens at all. <laughs> Like I, I never of... thought of that. Probably. <laughs> when you first meet Royce, he's like talking to Royce and mm-hmm. mentioning mm-hmm. singers and stuff. Yeah, her. I think I think he's reporting Luna back to Royce. Yeah, so that might have been his job after all. I think they probably would have eventually found Luna, but uh, but still, it's amusing to think if you just left him under that trap, then <laughs> the entire game would be you going to Moribia and then going back home. 
<laughs> Sell that diamond and then just uh, re- retire. Yep. The world's shortest RPG. Three and a half hours. Five out of five stars. But no, um, Nash betrays the team, blows up the engine, uh, and it's and it, it it sounds like he's he he wants you to just give up is uh, is what he wants the outcome to be, yeah. Because he definitely de- uh, cares about Mia, but naturally your group doesn't because you have you know just because Alex and Kyle are who they are I guess. Um, and you end up getting a uh, an engine from the eccentric inventor guy in at that other. Oh, what's the town of inventors called? Shoot. Uh, Illuk. Illuk, that's it. Yeah, you, they go to yeah. Illuk to get another engine, and because the Illuk engine isn't as good as Might's engine, you crash land <laughs> outside a town in the frontier, and that yeah. is Talon, a boring old cave, and probably my least favorite dungeon in the game, just because it's a boring old cave. Hmm. Huh. It does have like. It is full of the Vile tribe, but why are all the Vile tribe like goblin people except for like? I don't know. (laughs) What what's what's the deal with those three? They're like beautiful women, and everyone else is evil goblin people. (laughs) Man, if I knew, I would tell you. (laughs) And I assume that's another thing that's unexplained in the PSP version, Rob. Uh, yeah, completely, just not touched upon at all. Um, I kind of like Talon because, like, that's like where you find the entire population of Berg just kidnapped, right? And I kind of like that. I don't remember that. Is did I no, miss I, that? I, did that happen? I'm like, am, oh, like... am I? You know what? I think I might be mixing up my versions. Oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe that's in the Sega CD or PSP. Because I I remember like who cares about this awful dungeon? Um and. I didn't have fun going through that, but I don't very, remember. Very confused. I don't remember that either, but it's it's possible I didn't explore every part of that dungeon. I okay, never mind. It is just a big dungeon, and okay. I was just thinking with rose-colored lenses about how um you have to you have to set Alex's parents free and everybody else from Berg because they've been taken to the Talon Mines in the Sega CD version. Oh, man, that, that's, that's something they should have kept in this version because yeah. that's interesting. It's like you go back to Berg and it's completely empty uh, in that game and that's oh. pretty neat. No, no, you don't do that here. When After Alex becomes the Dragon Master and you visit Berg briefly, yeah. um, uh, everyone's there and happy and they go tell you to go save Luna. But Well, I mean, I guess that's okay too. But... <laughs> I mean, I guess, but I I like your version now. That's yeah, I can huh. like your version better. It's neat, yeah. Okay, so like, I guess like the PS One version is not one hundred percent the superior version. Yeah, that's at least interesting. It's fun. Yeah. I have another question about the Vile Tribe. The Vile Tribe, like the original inhabitants of Lunar, and it then seems, went, like it seems like yeah, and like banished them. Oh, that that could be it. That's kind of what I thought it was. Like she was like an invader, and they were kind of like banished to the outskirts. Because that's I mean, why they're angry because they've been pushed to the frontier mm-hmm. by Athena's power. So, but that's really it's a really underdeveloped idea, and one that could have been very. Hmm. Maybe things aren't so cut and dried, and maybe the goddess isn't so great. See, you know? he's speculating on the outsides of uh, of Lunar's plot is much more fun than. <laughs> Than uh, you know, playing Silver Star Harmony and having and having it ruined <laughs> for you. Well, but ruined is a strong word, and I and I don't like the I I don't like the idea of the events of something ruining the events of a separate thing, which is oh, absolutely not. Yeah. I still have like such fond memories of this um, series, and um, I'm you know, I, I have hated this playthrough, but that doesn't change how I feel about Lunar One. See, that's the right attitude. 
Um, <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't need to get into uh, how some people on the internet uh, will take that attitude, but the yeah. uh, th- that's interesting. If, if the um, the goblin-esque people of the frontier are the original hab- inhabitants of Lunar, and when Althea took Althea, Althea, yeah, Althea okay. took people from the Blue Star to Lunar, they uh, they forced them out. Yeah, like a displacement. Yeah, that's 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 cool. I kind of like that, but it does not explain why there's so few women and why the women are uh, are are beautiful are you know like uh, beautiful S and M characters. <laughs> but but yeah, so after after they go through the Talon, they discover a uh, a large city um, and and the grindery, which is a giant war machine at the at the edge of the city, and sort of those are two dungeons back to back after the Talon mines. Oh boy. And, and at the end of a to- tower of that city you meet uh Taben and and who is, you know, the architect of all of these ma- all of this magic fueled war machine, all these magic fueled war machines, I should say. And eventually he seeks Nash on you who uh who wants to repent after being slapped in the face by Mia and uh <laughs> but is but is being controlled by Taben and you have to fight him as the magic masher uh he's basically in a golden mecca, I guess. They call it a chicken suit, and I wonder if that's because <laughs> he is a big chicken. I think so. Not a fight <laughs> anymore? Sure. No, I, I dig the visual <laughs> metaphor, but but it was kind of fun laying the smackdown on him. Yeah, mm. I, I thought he looked funny. I enjoyed the fight just because it looked funny. He he needed a punch, so. <laughs> I like that he actually had like a visible slap print on his portrait. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Right, uh, so uh, I guess he comes back and all is forgiven, right? Where we we uh, we we still feel the same about Nash, that lovable scamp. I mean, it's just because he just seems so like ineffectual, and it's so easy to take him at the like. Normally, you you wouldn't trust these guys as far as you can throw them, but it's like, oh, Nash, it's just kind of sad, isn't it? So just come on. <laughs> I had Nash on my top of my list last episode, like favorite characters of like Mia. Nash, Kyle, and Jess. So I had Nash up, and he's probably not that anymore. <laughs> By the end of the game, it was definitely like the Kyle and Jess show. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle <laughs> yeah, and Jessica are, are just great the whole game. <laughs> and if anything, Kyle gets more and more likable because he's showing his, you know, he, he's showing a, a vulnerable side and a, and also a competent side. Mm. Where yeah. he's where he's you know he's, you know, maybe more clever than he seems and more sensitive than he than he seems. Which you know, by the end of the game, I, I liked Jessica and Kyle the most. Thought Nia was just fine, but maybe a little bo- boring. And Nash is just kind of a punk. The fun thing about the interplay between Kyle and Jessica—I mean, there's so many fun things about it. Mm-hmm. Like they have the best lines and the best back and forth. But um, you know, once you have the dragon wings, if you start like you know just teleporting back back to different towns to see what people have to say because pretty much every townsperson gets a new line of dialogue after yeah. a major event. It's um, very <laughs> like you can go see Brett, uh, the, uh, the, the cheating gambler in Saith, uh, and, um, <clears throat> he will, uh, he'll challenge the party to, um, to, to bet on something. Mm. And like Kyle is all for it. And Jessica's like, no, don't you dare. Like, I know that you just can't resist when you start gambling. And he's like, Jessica, I learned it from you. <laughs> <laughs> and I think none of those three characters are the most lovable gambler in the Lunar series. Yeah, for real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's oh, coming soon. Like that. Oh, no, no. You'll, you will know very, very soon, Leona. Trust us on this one. 
Um, okay. But but anyway, yeah, Kyle and Jessica are great. I think I mentioned this in the previous episode. It's refreshing. Um, it's a, to have you know a uh, a couple in an RPG that is already a couple uh, when the game yeah. when the game begins and very, very and it, like be, you basically enter in their relationship when they've already had a separation and are bickering from the very beginning but obviously still like each other from the beginning which is again it, it makes everything more fun it's it seems like a smart way of telling that love story definitely I, like mm-hmm. I. I've never, like, in some ways, like, Lunar is a very typical RPG, and then it's, like, instances like that where it's, like, I've not seen that in any RPG, really. Hmm. It's very atypical in some ways. Now the the ex-partner is something that you don't often see in Japanese uh, role-playing games. Um, yeah, because the, there's... If there a... is an ex-partner, it's usually, like, a deceased wife, you know? Yeah, yeah, they really don't like that, um, especially if it's a uh, if it's a, a major female character with a with an ex partner because it's um like I, I, maybe maybe this is me projecting or me uh, or me making an, uh, a bad assumption, but I may, maybe Japanese writers anticipate that fans don't uh, prefer the idea of women as as pure, oh, yeah, like painted women. Yeah, exactly. So if a woman has an ex partner, then maybe you know, then she isn't pure, and uh, mm. and and that's a, that's a gross idea. But maybe it's, and I'm not saying that the writers necessarily feel that way, but maybe they anticipate some fans may. I, I don't know. We see that with like the idol industry, right? Yes. That's why like so many Japanese idols have those clauses that say they're not allowed to have boyfriends, at least not publicly, so they can maintain this uh, fictional purity for their fans. And I mean, what we see more and more of with like today's JRPGs is like, you know, this whole sort of uh, quote unquote waifu uh, best girl culture, right? Where like the, 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 you want the possibilities to be open for uh, players to project what they want onto these characters. So like having Jessica like already engaged in a relationship with a character who is not the protagonist, um, I can see that maybe like not going over so well with certain subsets of audiences yeah definitely but every rpg these days like the the protagonist dates everyone really yeah that's what makes it so sterile and bad and unbelievable yeah i'm Uh, I'm trying to i'm trying to remember the name of this series but there was a manga that uh had demonstrations of fans burning copies of it um because the because one of the main main female characters was revealed to have an ex-boyfriend Oh, I'm sure that I'm, was I'm, so many series. Probably, I, I, rem- I remember it was about it was about goddesses or shrine maidens or something, but I don't remember what it was called. Oh. Um, and it was it was it was probably five or six years ago at least. Yeah, you kind of see like with Luna, um, like the sort of like Madonna like whore complex appear because like when most Luna definitely turns- good good eye. Yeah, geez. yeah. When, when she turns evil, then she's allowed to wear the skimpy clothing. She's not so pure anymore. You can sort of like objectify her a bit more. She's mm. she's the whore now. But when as soon as she turns back into a good Luna, she's suddenly wrapped in a sheet, yeah. totally covered mm-hmm. up and protected and cradled in Alex's arms. I find that really interesting and telling. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not, no, no, she's, she's no, no, back no. to being like little little sister slash partner. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, uh, oh my god, yeah, the childhood friend who's like a sister is not is not my favorite anime trope. Yeah, uh, but 
Well, at um, least it's not spread out online. At least it's not his real sister. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I probably mentioned this in the first episode. I think it's sort of cute how the, your six main characters form obvious couples because I, yeah, I, th- I think that I think the really the three relationships are cute and yeah, uh, and, yeah. and and wholesome in a way. But uh, but there's certain imagery and certain you know angles that they take or maybe that are maybe less cool than others. And again. Maybe because they're the the quote unquote least pure. I think I think Kyle and Jessica are by far the most fun of the group. They're Absolutely. definitely the most interesting to watch. Right, but but anyway, um, you know, you know, I I I'm, maybe I'm being a little bit unfair to Mia. I called her vanilla or boring a little bit before, but she has a moment. Um, after the yeah. grind after the grindery launches after the uh, a bit after the boss fight with Nash, there's a uh, a sort of an epic confrontation between the grindery and the city of Vane where. You know, to the, the city of Vane basically floats in front of the goddess tower and defends against some cannon fire from the grindery, gr- uh, you know, forcing it to a halt. And hmm. the, and then you and then you go into the grindery, and it's the second to last dungeon of the game. But like Mia sort of has to take charge and uh, and you know sack up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely thought that when I was like watching this scene, I was like, oh, this is Mia's moment. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's not quite triumphant because it's like it doesn't totally work. And Vane kind of falls from the sky, but it was like it was a good mm-hmm. moment for her, and it was very needed to have her like have a big impactful moment in the plot. Yeah, it was. I mean, her second, her two biggest but... moments of the entire plot are back to back, where she, where she not, basically brings Nash to his senses, and then does the Vane thing. It's um, th- those those were one and two for me as best parts of the game. Yeah, I love that Vane falls from the sky because yeah. I think like it kind of. I wouldn't have expected it to, and yet it kind of has to, because, you know, it's this elite magic academy that thinks that it's invincible, and it, it proves that it absolutely is not. It's one of its, archi- one of, one of its leaders uh, is the architect of its demise, um, and seeing that, um, seeing that they were willing to change their landscape in such a way, I mean, it's not like Final Fantasy VI World of Ruin, uh, changing of landscape but it's still making a very indelible impression in um in that continent yeah i thought that was quite quite a moment yeah i, I agree because i mean i mean they they establish on how how great vein is and how much of an institution it is um sort of mm. throughout the game and seeing it fall is like in a last ditch effort to um protect the goddess tower is a uh is, is a tremendous moment of symbolism i mean it's kind of an epic it's kind of an epic confrontation between the grindery and the city, and then yeah. it was also like the only way like you need to show the grindery's power, right? Like mm. if if Vane didn't fall, there would you would never see what the grindery could really do. And a, a similar moment that happened in the first half of the game, I think, is when Mel turns to stone. You have one yeah. of the you have one of the great symbols of the world's strength and and peace. Um, sort of ripped away in a way that you know uh, that I, I think I think raises the plot stakes. In a way that is effective and get and in a physical, and, and you know puts the world in a, in a physical state. Like you, like you can go and visit the, the Mel turned into stone, and you can see the fallen city of Vane uh, when, but only mm. the last part of the game. It's they, they do a good job of, um, of having the world state keep up with the uh, what's going on in the game. Like we were mentioning before, you can go back to almost any town, and there'll there'll be updates. Uh, yeah. one, there's sort of three hidden accessories in the game that are the th- among the three most powerful, and one of the ways, to, and one of them you get by 
visiting the town of Lon after you become Dragon Master and have the Elder make you an, honor, <laughs> on an, on, an honorary citizen. Be, be, mm. Because when Alex becomes drag, Dragon Master, everyone around the world will treat him differently and say different things. That's that's cool to have the world state so current, even though this is an RPG that's a little bit Dungeon Town, Dungeon Town sometimes. Well, I never did that, mm-hmm. so that's interesting to me. Yeah, there's three. There's three rare accessories. Uh, one of them halves your MP use. One of them gives you a plus one attack. Oh, I got that one. I got okay. that one. Okay, one of them gives mm-hmm. a plus one attack, and one of them has uh, every attack affect all enemies. Huh. That that last one is is good. You can't you can't stack it with multiple attacks, but it's pretty good because Nash's final weapon has like a ten percent chance to instant kill. So. Ooh. If you give if you give him that final bow with that weapon that affects everybody, it can be it's pretty effective in regular battles. But uh, but well, whatever, mm. um, it, it's cool how uh, Lunar is a much more persistent world than a lot of RPG worlds, and um, things like Mel turning to stone and Vein falling are really dramatic examples of it. But I guess we're um, I guess we're basically at the end of the game. Uh, the your party goes up the grindery. Uh, it's it's too late. They go to the Goddess Tower anyway. Then you, uh, then you speak to Laika, who finally reveals he's dying. It took him freaking Ta-da. long enough. <laughs> no, really? I don't think it would have affected anything negatively if he had just told people from the beginning. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm dying, but but we keep it on the download, kids. Like, I mean, maybe to avoid like the paparazzi. <laughs> he, sure. he let them build a big, beautiful grave to him. Come on. <laughs> yeah, a what? little bit rude, dying. <laughs> a little bit. It helps us a lot. I shouldn't badmouth him. He's a yeah, very he, nice guy. He does. He does help a lot, and he does want the group, this group of kids, to succeed. And he's he's uh, he's not being stubborn and hand, and you know, like stubbornly holding on to the the reins of power for his to his generation. He's not like an old like, NBA player insisting that basketball was better in 1994 or something. Um, <laughs> but the. Uh, uh, it, I mean, it's the it's the most obvious twist I've ever seen. I, I did I didn't totally get the um, why the uh, why Althena had to leave like until it was explained to me later. But I mean, obviously he was dying. Come yes, on, absolutely. But anyway, he gives uh, Alex a shiny new sword that has a healing ring built into it, basically, which is helpful. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then it's time to go up the. Goddess Tower or Althena Fortress or whatever it's called. Did we miss the the whole dragon head thing? Oh, we didn't. Um, well, uh, that was pretty creepy. I yeah, it's it, 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 that. Oh. Yeah, that's in the grindery. You see, you go yeah. through the grindery and realize that it's powered by the four dr- captured dragons. You see the entirety of uh, Quark's head fixed there, oh, but also you see, I think like um, feet or or tails of the other four dragons as well. Yeah, um, the other three dragons as well, which is which is why I said we um, that's not uh, that's not the last we saw of the blue dragon. <laughs> but, it's not uh, the way I wanted to see them. <laughs> yeah, no, it, but it is a little creepy and a little scary because I mean the, the, those those were four nice dragons that were per- that were perfectly happy to help you on your journey. Yeah, did, are they dead? Is that are they actually dead now? Unclear. Um, yeah, because you never least, like, see them again. They're at least well, depleted, and it appears that Nal is the new white dragon. That's yes. right. I think they are done, so they can make room for Null to be the next um, white dragon in that instance. And I, I mean, presumably more dragons rise to take their place. I, I, I know there's a, uh, that y- there's a, an inference you can make in early on in Lunar Two that that might be true, um, because there is another flying cat character in that game. But it's, oh. it's, 
but it's you do un- meet dragons in Lunar Two. And you it's, yeah, and, you do, right? And uh, yes, but I don't think they're. I don't think it's hinted that they're the same dragons. Right, and I it has it, it, and it is implied. Yeah. I think Lunar Two takes place a thousand years after Lunar One, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So so there there's time for new dragons to take place. I thought place. it was like a direct sequel. Apparently not. <laughs> well, it, I mean, there are Lunar One characters in Lunar Two. But, yeah. Strangely uh, enough, there are some returning characters. Yes. Um. But, one of which uh, I think is one of which I think is easier to explain than the others. Uh, do, yeah. do you know what I'm referring to, Rob? You think? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. But I'm trying the, to think it. Oh, you'll. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll be playing it before too long. If you, if yeah. you guys, if you choose to be on the Lunar Two episodes, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'll definitely be on them, but I, I don't think the rest of the panel is 100% set yet. But uh, there are more dragons in Lunar Two, and there's at least a couple of uh, Lunar One characters in Lunar Two. But that is something for next week. Uh, but before we talk about next week, I mean, we do have a final dungeon and a final battle. Uh, uh, Facia gives a, no- a noble sacrifice at one point, and then you finally get to give Royce her and uh, Zenobia their just desserts. Well, Royce was particularly annoying. Yeah, that sleep I... that sleep curse is annoying oh, as hell. So bad, I hate it. <laughs> it made great like going up the tower, like just that small area. Just like all the battles were so dangerous all of a sudden. Yeah, and you'll go through and it's like, okay, please, please, just be like Jessica and Kyle or something. But no, they it's Alex and Mia, yeah. so you don't have your screen clearing stuff. So unfortunate. Yeah, <sighs> I was hoping that Royce would turn out all right in the end, but I guess Facia kind of. I don't know. Like, I guess you were saying, kind of, um, Leona, the Madonna horror complex, and I guess Facia. Although she is dressed sexually as well, she is much more. She's still got this sort of like radiance about her. Yeah. Um. So I guess like. Yeah. Of, of like the three, she was the ob- of the three. She was the obvious candidate to impersonate a priestess. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's so obvious for her to be the uh, uh, the face turn um, mm-hmm. sacrifice for the heroes. Um, and I kind of wish it was the other way around. It would have been interesting if Royce was like the 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 good person, and then like Frasia was like, uh, or Frasia, I can't remember. Was like not just because I like Royce and lipstick. Truest, truest evil one. Yeah, it it was the it was the obvious and maybe most boring choice, but it's mm. whatever is the one they made. Um, I didn't think the 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 Royce or face or uh, Zenobia boss battles were particularly interesting. I mean, it's it's kind of yeah. cool that Zenobia was obviously in love with Galleon, but sort of didn't want to admit it. Yeah, it was a sort of like vassal in love with the master sort. Yeah, it's like it's like oh, that, it's like that, that, that's a cute angle, sure. Oh, poor Zenobia. Imagine if Galleon just got over Luna and was like, "Zenobia, come on, let's go." It was like yeah. story let's not over. Destroy the world today. It's like, <laughs> right. How about how about instead of how about instead of destroying the world, let's try to rebuild the frontier. Yeah, let's try to make this a nice place instead of make the entire world like the frontier. How about I play you my weird fantasy guitar? <laughs> okay, this, this song hasn't been written yet, but it's called Wonderwall. Oh, oh no! <laughs> nice garden on the top of this dungeon. Pexies in it. Little pexies. Yeah. If only he had just been a happy guitar player planting dr- trees like Galleon Appleseed. Yeah, we, bu- <laughs> we, bu- we built this frontier on rock and roll. Uh, he has a move called rock and roll. He does. He does. It's true. <laughs> and and another move that's straight fire. It's all coming together. And another move that's cold as ice. Man, he maybe he is. He but he wasn't willing to sacrifice. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> at the top of the tower, um, this is a little embarrassing. I had to fight Galleon twice, not because I lost to him, but because uh, after you beat him once, you're supposed to use the Ocarina al- item in Alex's inventory before meeting Luna. Yeah. Uh, because I, it, because if you don't, Luna will kill you, and you'll go back, and you'll get a game over. <laughs> Which, I had been spoiled beforehand to play the Ocarina, so you know that's an okay spoiler because the alternative is maybe having to do it twice, like I did. So yeah, you so know, I, mean, I probably would have lost. I probably, if I was playing for real, like not known to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it was very you know, subtle. I added that. I don't think you had to do that originally. Oh, really? I think you just had to go up and talk to her, but they wanted to make the game like harder in kind of adventure game mode and just sort of added this, like, if you don't play it, you get instant death. I was um, wondering. I mean, th- th- this isn't yeah. as bad as the two brothers trapped in, in books and mist or anything, but no, it, it, it's, uh, still, it, it's still a, you know, a, a pothole, n- not plot hole, a pothole that I did not yeah. enjoy tripping over. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, it's like the end of Karateka, you know. <laughs> you accidentally appre- uh, approach the princess in your uh, karate stance, and she just kills you. Um, I when I was researching this, I was I, now I, I I found out an interesting tidbit about the Sega CD version that I didn't realize before. Um, so uh, you've got a harp in that game rather than an ocarina. Alex plays the harp, uh, okay. and um, due to um, some coding sloppiness, you can throw that harp away. So, oh no! Yeah, so you can make that game completely unwinnable. <laughs> you can't <laughs> even amazing. You, yeah, you can't even remove Alex's ocarina from his in, from his inventory. Yeah, so I I like that so much. Just like <laughs> you know, save the world and then just you know that's <laughs> it. Just because you wanted some more inventory space. I mean, I I I do not like that, but uh, but I mean, I, okay, I, I I appreciate the humor and the. You know, and the, maybe even the Schadenfreude of it a little bit, but I, it would have it would have soured me on the game forever had it happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> I did not do that as a kid because I knew that harp was important because I'm RPG savvy. But I guess, <laughs> I guess that's a thing. Sure. I feel like if I was an actual like protagonist. I feel like I would do something stupid like throw away the key item at the very like crucial moment. It's like, what the hell do I have this in, in my inventory yeah, when I really could have another? I could really use another silver light right now. Yeah, I've, I've got to so save the world. Right. I've got this stupid ocarina. <laughs> yeah, and then you end up having to spend like another extra ten hours looking through the world, just trying. Where did I throw it? It's <laughs> <laughs> so behind the fridge. Oh yeah, the, the fridge. right, the, the fridge in the forest of illusions. How did I forget? <laughs> okay, well, if we're discussing the refrigeration technology in Lunar One, um, we're probably near the end of the episode, but there was one last bit I wanted to discuss. Uh, there's a cute little epilogue in Meridia. Yep. Meribia. Whoops, wrong, wrong consonant yeah. there. Wrong consonant. I am not ready for, uh, for countdown. But the... Uh, I, I think it's, cu- it's nice being able to see a little bit of closure with, uh, um, with all four of our couples, if you count uh, um, Tempest and Fresca, uh, before going to the rolling the credits. Um, yeah. And my favorite bit of it, again, unsurprisingly, is about Kyle and Jessica, is that Mel had sort of was prepared to accept Kyle from the beginning, and he knew about Jessica and his adventures. She she had never fooled him. That's kind of great. Really well it is really well written. That, like, Jessica, yeah. Kyle, Mel, that's all very good. Mm. Well, like, there's that there's that great sign uh, in Meribia. It's, like, alerting you that um, 
Nanza is closed due to bandits, and it's especially closed from uh, rebellious daughters. <laughs> he knows what's up. Yeah, he, he knew what was up from the beginning. At one point, he was probably furious, but then he, sometime before the events of the game, he had he had accepted Jessica for who she was, and accepted Kyle for who he was, and was just waiting for them to tell him, which is yeah. which is sweet. I, I I enjoyed that. When you fight Zenobia, you have that whole like persona moment. Oh yeah. Oh god. Where mm. you have to face your shadow self, basically. Mm-hmm. And Jess kind of admits that, 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 like, she knows her father knows, and they just don't talk about it. It's sort of like mm. an unspoken thing between them. Oh, oh, right, yeah. Oh, it's been it's been a while since I saw that, but no, you're you're right, and it's uh, it's it's and it, and and it's, and it's also amusing. I thought how um how naturally he had to confront his own weakness in his persona moment. Yeah, mm. I liked the persona moment. That was very good. It was like ahead of its time. It's like I, I guess we can call that a persona moment. I mean, maybe we should call. Um, I mean, this is, should we call what happens in persona a lunar moment? I guess so, technically. Because this isn't like so. this isn't like a Final Fantasy IV moment where, like, you know, so many games have people revive from a down state from the power of friendship and allies. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah that, <laughs> I guess those are persona moments. But. Um, yeah, I, I liked those scenes in the epilogue, just getting a tiny bit of closure with each character, and uh, even Lemia, like, Lemia hits Nash pretty cold. Uh, yeah, in, like, in, I may in, never trust you, but I'll yeah, try. Yeah, like, like in, in vain, she's like, I'm never going to trust you in the, again, and then in Moravia, she's like, okay, I'm going to try, because because I know you love Mia, which, which yeah. is, you know, fair on her part. Yeah. Probably hurting, considering how much she trusted Galleon, and... Mm-hmm. How how she he betrayed her, I mean that was one of the four heroes, you know. And yeah, this poor is, Lemia. This I mean, mm. one of the four heroes, and she's basically infirmed for the entire game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she might never get better. Yeah. 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 But at, at least uh, Mia's confident in herself now, and and Nash will do anything she says. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or um, fear the slap. And it, it's uh, uh sh- can we talk briefly about a character in Lunar Two, um, yeah, Leona or Rob, or should or should we uh, should we hold that off for? Uh, it week? depends on what you want to talk about. I mean, um, I won't be able to add anything to it. All right. Well, th- there's a character in Lunar Two who is um in the Ausa family, so she's clearly a descendant of Mia. Ah, but she a party uh, member. Yeah, she has she has a personality much more like Nash's. So it's. I'm 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 pretty oh, sure it's kind of implied, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. So I, I thought of that. So I'm I'm I mean I think Nash married into the Ausa family, uh, one way or the other, but presumably through Mia. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope so. But and but had enough shame. Even that to, Lamia really turned to change, yeah. had a change of heart. But he had enough shame to take uh, to take his wife's name at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that or at least that's how I view it? Um, because that. Uh, the, your mage character in Lunar Two really is the like Leah uh, Nash plus Mia. Like she is very funny. Yeah, it, I, I really like the side characters in Lunar Two. I really can't wait to meet them again and for uh, Leona to meet for them for the first time because they're 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 a very excellent bunch in my opinion. Um, but I think we're about done talking about Lunar One. Do you mind if we uh, if we close up shop today, guys? No, I'm good. Okay. All right, sounds good. Um, 
Now, as we mentioned mere seconds ago, next week we will be starting Lunar 2. We will be playing Lunar 2 over two episodes of Retro Encounter. I have, I'm barely started, so I really need to get on that soon. But I, uh, and I, I think I know Lunar 1 is considerably better than Lunar 2, because I played Lunar 2 only once. But with Lunar 1, I played it once and then, like, played the beginning of it a bunch more times without really following through until now. So, uh, I don't remember Lunar 2 as clearly as I do 1, but I remember it being a bigger, more interesting game mechanic and in particular loving the ending and epilogue of Lunar 2. So I'm excited to start playing it again. And uh, what's cool about Lunar 2, uh, and we briefly talked about like mm. the potential of it here uh, when we were talking about um, Althena being a possible oppressor of the Vile Tribe, right. Lunar 2 really gets into... Um, like I, I think Lunar 1 is a utopia under threat. And Lunar 2 is when uh, explores what happens when the Church of Althena is unchecked. Yes, that, that's, that's very fair. Um, it's, Lunar 2 is consistent with the world and mythology of Lunar 1, but, yeah. but the conflict comes from a different place, and, um, and, the, resu- and the resolution of the conflict uh, sort of continues... What um the some things set in some things that were set in Lunar One. Mm. In, in four, way... four heroes are a lot more complicated in Lunar Two, and I like yes. that a lot. But yes, I agreed. I like the core plot of Lunar One more. Um yeah, again, I remember the plot of Lunar One more clearly, but I remember the main characters in Lunar Two pretty well, and yeah. uh and remember specific parts of Lunar Two, and and remember thinking I think I like Lunar Two more overall. But I but I'm I'm weird. Sometimes I get uh. I, I like seeing plot loops close cleanly, which is and the epilogue mm. of Lunar Two is is perf- is amazing for that. And I really mm. like the the um, maybe all of the main characters except for except for Hero and Lucia. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, like Hero and Lucia are about as boring as Alex and Luna, but the other four in of Lunar Two are great, and I love them. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I hope that wasn't too spoilery for you, Leona. But um, you and I will be enjoying this game over the next week and uh and i'm sure we'll have a lot of fun talking about it in the next episode but lunar one was definitely fun i'm, I'm glad you, i'm glad you enjoyed it and i hope you enjoyed talking about it too because it was a it was a pleasure having you and rob uh um revisit yeah. this game with me Thank uh you. i I, I, yeah. I i have a lot of fond memories of lunar one i again i i played it i think 12 or th- um like 13 or 14 years ago but it's been enough distance that it, it uh that you know, it, it did not feel tired at all, and I had a lot of fun replaying it. And I'm I'm looking forward to Lunar 2 just as much, if not more, even though it might cut into my Octopath Traveler time, which is unfortunate. <laughs> and, and another reason why I don't think I'm going to be on the August episodes, because I'll probably, I'll probably be wanting to play all the games I missed over the summer. Oh, um, same here. Yeah, we, we haven't... Uh, uh, planned out all of August yet, but um, the August game has been chosen. It is going to be Shadow Hearts. Shadow Hearts One, oh, not so Covenant. Um, we played that's Shadow. Game. That's right. We we played Shadow Hearts Covenant for the podcast um, a bit over a year ago. I think in um, I want to say February or March of 2017. One of those. I'd have to I'd have to check the episode list. But we did play it over a year ago. I, it was my first time playing it, and I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, when we had the staff discussion on what game to play this year, uh, what game to play after Lunar, uh, Shadow Hearts 1 had a lot of support, and we ended up going with it. But I, I don't think I'll be on those episodes, because I, again, I'm, I'm going to be playing a lot of Lunar 2, and I'm going to be uh, trying to catch up to games that came out in the spring and summer. But uh, that is going to have two episodes in August. That is Shadow Hearts Uno. 
Um, the first one, not Covenant. If you want to listen to episodes about Shadow Hearts Covenant, check episodes from the first couple months of 2017. But listeners, if you want to reach out to us, the best way to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com. Uh, we have, there's also RPG Fans forums, RPGFan.com on Twitter. We have Facebook, Discord, and Instagram pages as well that you can find on the front page of rpgfan.com. And there's also another pad- podcast, Random Encounter, where, uh, which is more focused on current events and what we're playing and reviewing at the, in, around that time. And it is bi-weekly and hosted by Derek Heemsbergen. Um, I was on an E3 episode a couple weeks ago where we recapped our, uh, the, the goings-on at that games show, which was, you know, it was fun to record, but I, I barely remember it because I was, like, two-thirds asleep during the recording. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, listeners, if you want to provide feedback other than uh, in a less direct way, you can also review us on iTunes or Google Play or whatever podcast listening venue you use. Uh, we appreciate all, con- all constructive criticism. Now, I'm um, starting with you, Leona. If a listener wants would want to get in touch with you or reach out, how would they do so? Well, you can find me on the Discord server. I'm the moderator there. I go by Star Mongoose. Or you can find me on Twitter, also Star Mongoose. Excellent. And Rob, your turn. You can find me on Twitter at MissAnthroBob. Uh, and that's the best place to find me these days. Send all fan mail. Yeah. <laughs> Please do. No hate mail, please. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's let's not talk about my inbox. <laughs> I love your inbox. Oh, well. oh, oh my! <laughs> I wasn't a, I wasn't aware we were showing each other our inboxes. Meet me after the recording. We'll talk more. Okay. Cool. Well, I'll shut off the recording, and then this conversation <laughs> will continue. But uh, before I do that, um, listeners, the best way to find me is to find me on Twitter at the Real Monsoon. I have a second Twitter at Evoker for Dogs, where I get a little weird and talk about Japanese superheroes a lot. Um, and also, uh, I am on Discord as well, but not as often as Leona is. My Discord is at Monsoon Mike on, uh, and I pretty much only peruse the RPG fan Discord. But, gentlemen and lady, I think we have successfully done two podcasts on Lunar the Silver Star. It was a lot of fun. Whether it's story complete or harmony, um, we definitely played and recorded some, didn't we? (laughs) I mean, I I definitely feel grateful for the version that I played. Yeah, I didn't realize how lucky I was. I, I, it, it had even crossed me. Oh, maybe I could try the PSP version for the podcast, but then decided oh. against it. But um, before getting even before uh, hearing about it from Rob, so I, I, I was lucky in that regard. I don't know what they did. I blame Gung Ho. Yeah, freaking Gung Ho, man! G- give the Lunar Three the Lunar license to someone who's good. Well, I mean, game arts are owned by them now, so. But still, I, I blame them. <laughs> All right. Well, screw you, gung-ho. But listeners, thank you. Good night, and good luck.